breathe out, two, three, four. Wellness is... It's not a matter of living with your pain. It's a matter of living next to your pain. So many new parents are so scared that they've given birth to this baby and they don't really feel anything. I started to get really sick in September of 2018. And they kept telling me that I was suffering from post-traumatic, from having breast cancer, that I hadn't dealt with my breast cancer. When it comes to pain, no matter what kind of pain it is, it's very natural for us to receive that pain with a certain level of resistance. Welcome to Choosing Wellness, your one-stop shop for practical advice about how to attain better physical and mental well-being so that instead of just surviving, you're thriving. Choosing Wellness is powered by Pattison Media. In this series, we'll share a health journey and explore the trends and talk to the experts that will help you live your best life and we'll have fun doing it. In this episode, we talk about postpartum, how to deal with chronic pain, and Life Unlimited Stephanie Staples speaks to being enough. I'm Linda Freeman. Come join the journey of choosing wellness. Health Tag. We know hashtags help link us to content we're looking for in the world of social media. So we've created Health Tag. Like hashtags, we explore what's trending in the world of wellness. Approximately 1 in 10 women will experience postpartum depression after giving birth, with some studies reporting 1 in 7. And it's estimated that nearly 50% of mothers with postpartum depression are not diagnosed by a health professional. Postpartum is the time after childbirth where women can feel sad or empty within a few days of giving birth. It can lead to postpartum depression, a serious mental illness that involves the brain and affects your behavior and physical health. To learn more about postpartum, we're joined by Claire Zeshkai. She's the program and volunteer manager at Pacific Postpartum Support Society. She struggled with perinatal depression and anxiety after the birth of her daughter 13 years ago and is passionate about supporting other parents through this challenging time. Welcome, Claire. Can you speak to the reality of postpartum and starting with how long it can last? For some folk, after those first few weeks, they fall into a nice new pattern and everything's great. But for a lot of other people, it can last much longer. A lot of the struggles really hit in a lot later than people expect. Around about six months to a year are some of the really difficult stages. So... We think of postpartum being just after having a baby, but often it can last for a year or two. Now, that's a long time. How do you know when it's more than just adjusting to motherhood or parenthood? What we often talk about is really thinking of how much is this affecting the quality of life. For some folk, they can cope with that lack of sleep and the hormone changes quite well. And for other folks, that becomes a really big struggle. So even within that postpartum period, everybody can have quite a different experience. But certainly if it's feeling as though it's really affecting your day and you're really not enjoying the experience, then it's time to sort of look at getting some other supports and talking to some people to see if there's anything that can 
help make this experience a little bit better. So there's a lot of talk about postpartum depression, which is a mental illness and can be very serious. But there is also postpartum anxiety. Mm -hmm. And it comes with different symptoms and different signs. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. There's still this perception that postpartum depression is one of the main things that people experience. But in recent times, we've really started to see postpartum anxiety as being a much more common thing than we ever realized. It's marked by worrying about things having, you know, really scary thoughts about something happening to your baby, just being really anxious about everything that's out there. So what we're often seeing with anxiety is racing thoughts, over worrying about things, and it can have quite physical aspects as well. Things like your heart racing, not being able to sleep, not being able to eat. Police say the renowned oncologist at Mount Sinai Hospital in New York City shot and killed her baby, then killed herself in her home around 7 a.m. The news has rocked the community and Dr. Cassetta's patients. One patient told CBS2 News on the phone that Dr. Cassetta was just on maternity leave. She remembers her being full of life as she helped patients through their cancer journeys. Such a tragic story and at the same time powerful in showing the extremes that can happen with postpartum depression. How common is this? This is something beyond your regular postpartum depression and anxiety. It's moved into sort of a psychosis or a very severe mental illness. It's not something that we see very often. It's a very rare thing that happens. And when it happens, it is incredibly tragic and incredibly sad. But the instances of this is very low. We deal with people going through perinatal depression and anxiety all the time. And we know that for most people, Even if they're having really scary thoughts like that, they're not going to act on it. This raises the alarm that postpartum can affect anyone and that it isn't one size fits all, Claire. I think that's a lot of the people we speak to who are often feeling as though they're not deserving this support. We speak to a lot of doctors, a lot of nurses, a lot of teachers, a lot of people in those caring professions. And when it's happening to us, I think it comes with a lot of that shame and that stigma as well. It's nothing to do with how well-educated you are. It's nothing to do with how stable and wonderful your background is. This is something that can happen to anyone, really, at sort of any time during that postpartum period. And it's not a reflection of you as a person. This is just something that's happening to you. It's not who you are, and it's not a reflection of your skills as a person, as a parent. How can family and friends support the person going through postpartum? What we find is just keeping those lines of communication open. People will often say things like, just let me know if there's anything you need, instead of asking, what is it you need? Just listening without judgment can be such a big piece to actually ask somebody, how are you? Just being able to have that conversation of what is it you need right now? How can I help? Reaching out for support, taking that first step, can be a lifesaver. I also think asking for help is so hard for people. We think we can manage, that we'll be okay. Sometimes all it takes is just even one phone call to release some of that pressure and start the whole journey feeling an awful lot better. Hello? No one really needs to do this alone. We're not meant to parent alone. And even though we may have family and friends and a wonderful partner... We can have all of that and still feel really lonely in this. And so we always just encourage everyone to reach out and talk to someone, whether it's us or whether it's their doctor, public health nurse, 
there is support out there. And of course, there's the emotional side of everything. That feeling of emptiness. Yeah. Of not connecting to this new little baby. I'm so glad you brought that up because that's something we talk about a lot. And so many new parents are so scared that they've given birth to this baby and they don't really feel anything. Like anything at first and the movies everything tells us that we should get this baby and just fall in love immediately it should be overwhelming and for so many parents that's just not the case we've just been handed this strange looking thing that feeds and sleeps and cries yeah it's so true and that's really all they do for a long time and it can take quite a while for that bond to build up and it's very very common I'd say the majority of parents that we speak to, it's at least three months before they're really starting to fall in love with their baby. And it can take a lot longer. Until they start interacting with you, it can be hard to really create that bond. Now, this is an interesting perspective. And without that quick connection, that love at first sight feeling, I can see how easily new parents would struggle. I think we've always got that sense like there's something wrong with me because I don't really sort of feel anything towards my baby. And One of the things I often talk to folk about in group and on the phone is that we all do love our babies, even if you're not feeling that bond right away. (laughs) That sense of love is there, but the bonding comes with liking something and liking someone. So when you start seeing who they are and their personality, and that can be such a moment of joy and change in the journey as well. It's so much more common than I think we even really realise because no one wants to admit that they aren't bonding with their baby or loving their baby and there's nothing wrong with you if you're not feeling like that is perfectly normal and perfectly common and it comes it always comes thank you claire for your insight your supportive words and encouragement to ask for help (coughs) to share in the discussion about postpartum tag us using hashtag health tag Being real. Leslie Smith Aragona is a Hamilton, Ontario, Canada designer in rescue textiles. Her passion is her designing, her three daughters, and her grandchildren. She's fighting her way back from cancer and pain. This is Leslie's story. This is Being Real. A year after I had opened up my store, I was diagnosed with breast cancer in August of 2016 and then had my surgery in January of 2017 and proceeded in March of 2017 with 12 weeks of radiation, which absolutely zapped the life out of me. But I had a store to run and I couldn't take any time off. After my surgery, I only took my surgery day and that following day, which was a Saturday, my girls, I have three daughters and two of my daughters ran my store for two days for me. And I was right back at work and would go to work every day, all through my radiation. I'd go for radiation in the morning, 8, 30, 9 o'clock, and I would open my store by 11. I never really felt well after that. I started to get really sick in September of 2018 and they kept telling me that I was suffering from post-traumatic from having breast cancer, that I hadn't dealt with my breast cancer. In December of 2018, just as I'm trying to finish up my Christmas season, I didn't feel well, I was losing a ton of weight. A girlfriend of mine had said to me, let's spend New Year's Eve together. We both had a rough year. 
and we're going to go to the spa and we're going to sit in the hot tub afterwards and drink wine. Well, I made it to her house and I really didn't feel well. She was a palliative care nurse at the time and she's like, you need to go to the hospital. No, no, no. I think I'm okay. It's just exhaustion. I felt so weak. I just wanted to close my eyes. I had my dog with me at the time and I wake up in the morning and she's sitting beside the bed because she is really concerned. My heartbeat was really slow and she just knew that there was something more going on. So off to the hospital we go. Several days in hospital, five blood transfusions and I had had endos, I had had colonoscopies and then they finally, after a week, did a CT scan and they find a tumor in my intestines called a GIST, which is a gastrointestinal stromal tumor. I end up with emergency surgery the following day, and they were able to cut 10 inches of my intestines out and reconnect it and got everything out. So it was the best case scenario. When you have had cancer, twice, you start to live with a little bit of post-traumatic. It does affect you. I went for the CT scan and other three-month checkup May the 4th, 2020. So right in the middle of pandemic. The following morning, I woke up and did not feel well at all. I had massive, massive headache. And I had had a lot of headaches and a lot of head pain through all of this. And I could not believe the pain that I was suffering in my head. So it was on my right side, going up the side of my head. It was my whole face was tingling and numb and I couldn't brush my teeth, washing my makeup off. Absolutely horrible pain. Nobody could figure out. They just kept giving me lots of medication. It was actually one of the eye doctors who said, I think you've got trigeminal neuralgia. And then I ended up with a whole gamut of medications, everything from painkillers to gabapentin to CBD oil and nothing was helping and I was having to go every day to work. I am a mother of three grown women. I was having grandchildren and I was living in excruciating pain and some days didn't even know how I was able to get through things. Some medications would work for a couple of weeks and then they wouldn't work. I call it blind pain. You know, it's a pain that nobody really can understand. You get to the point where, to be honest, you don't even talk about it anymore because people don't want to hear about it anymore because they don't see your pain. They see me in my studio. They see me doing fashion shows, but I pull every ounce of energy that I have, especially if I'm going through a flare-up like I am at the moment, to pull myself together every day. I call it putting my best foot forward. It's no matter what, put your best foot forward every day. And that's what I try to do. Do I have to sometimes say, forget it, I can't do it and I'm done and I'll end up staying in bed for 24, 48 hours to get through something? It ha happens. It happens a couple times a year. But if I can just keep pushing myself through, I do. And I've done that since the day I got breast cancer. I'm on a seven-year trek of trying to stay healthy and after never being sick in my life, like I was a very, very healthy 
56-year-old woman when all this started and, you know, really rocked my world that I got sick. But at the end of the day, I get to do what I love to do and I have to be grateful for that. And everything else will fall into place, you know, like it just does. You gotta have purpose, right? We have to have purpose every day and that, that's really what I try to do. And yes, I have head pain and I have a lot of head pain, but I'm grateful that the breast cancer is gone. The gist, they were able to get all of that out. And, you know, I just had my four-year checkup and everything was clear. And here I am four years later and not a sign of any more cancer. And I get to, you know, live my life and be here for my kids, my daughters. My daughters mean everything to me. I'm very, very fortunate. I get to be part of their life still. Thank you, Leslie, for being so inspiring and showing others that you can manage pain, find your passion, and focus on joy. How to Choose Wellness Dr. Ira Price is an assistant professor in the Division of Emergency Medicine through the Department of Internal Medicine at McMaster University in Ontario, Canada. He's a fellow of the Royal College of Physicians and Surgeons, trained in emergency medicine, with a fellowship in sports medicine, a special interest in chronic pain management, and an enhanced scope of practice that includes non-surgical aesthetics. And I'm going to say he has a very creative approach to medicine. Is that a fair way to describe you, Dr. Price? You know, it's interesting. I would say I don't fit into any box or any mold. I don't know if it's creative. It's just me. I've tried to do all the rigid stuff and I came to medicine creatively. So I just try to do me and however it pans out, it pans out. And it's an individual approach. I think medicine is a very individual field and personalized medicine is where we're moving into the future. I look at population statistics as well and populations, but individuals are who need to be treated. So that's how I treat them. I did medical school at McMaster and communication was a fundamental key to our practice of medicine. I don't look at medicine as unidimensional. It's multidimensional with multiple facets and there are multiple determinants of health. And when you treat a patient or you treat individuals, it's the same way. And communication is one of those biggest factors. I just be me. Today, we're talking about pain, but specifically chronic pain. And I know you're actually on your own pain journey, and we'll talk about that as well. But first, can you start with a bit more of your background? I'm actually an emergency physician by trade. I did a fellowship after doing five years of residency in emergency medicine. I did my fellowship in sports medicine that also dealt with chronic pain and pain in athletes and the general population when it came to things like arthritis and things like that. And in 2010, I actually opened up a pain clinic. So for just over a decade, I had a pain clinic called Synergy Health Services. And I I spent pretty much that time helping people get off of narcotics and dealing with chronic pain. So I've done it for a very long time. And is there a way for you to define what chronic pain is? If we're going to a specific definition of chronic pain, it's any pain that you have that lasts more than three months. That's the definition by the national standard for chronic pain. In fact, Hamilton, the chronic pain center at Michael DeGroote, actually wrote the national guidelines for chronic pain. We have very good guidelines when it comes to pain. There are two types of pain you can have. You can have chronic non-cancer pain or chronic cancer pain. 
if we're talking about it, we'll talk about the non-cancer pain. Because cancer pain is it's a different beast in its own, unfortunately. But when it comes to non-cancer pain, it's musculoskeletal or any other neuropathic pain or any other type of pain you have that lasts in an individual longer than three months. It could be injury-related, it can be non-injury-related, and it comes down to a psychosocial perspective, and it comes down to a physical perspective. So there's an individual mental health perspective. It's not just physical pain. It's also a mental pain. It's also an emotional pain. It's also the pain that individuals suffer that people in your family feel. So it affects everybody. So it's not just pain that lasts three months. Pain that lasts three months plus all the other aspects. But the thing with chronic pain is you don't see it from the outside. So if someone is dealing with chronic pain, what steps should they be taking? Because I think so often and sadly, people will suffer and not do anything about it. Yeah, you raise a good point. People often suffer from pain, but don't say or do anything about it. I call that silent suffering. In the determinants of health, aside from physical health, you have the emotional component to it. So yes, you may or may not see somebody who has a broken arm. Like, you can't see it, but I'm in a sling, can't move my arm. So you know that there's something wrong here. But there are a lot of people, whether it's a parent, a loved one, or a child, who have pain, but are afraid or embarrassed to say they have that pain for multiple reasons. One, because we're dealing with an opioid epidemic and people don't want to say, hey, I don't want to go to the hospital and start asking for narcotics. Two, they don't want to look weak because we have this persona to upkeep. But the silent sufferer are the people that actually suffer the most. So what do you do? There is a phase or an approach to chronic pain. The first step is obviously you have to acknowledge and recognize that you have chronic pain. What is the foundation of that pain? For example, is this something like fibromyalgia or is this something like I broke my arm or my shoulder six months ago? Can you give a definition of fibromyalgia for people who are like, I don't know what he's talking about? The technical definition of fibro is they have more than 18 tender trigger points on their body associated with a psychosocial event and a physical injury of some sort. But there is a psychosocial aspect to it. But all chronic pain has to do with that as well. Thank you. Fibromyalgia is not just physical pain. It's also emotional pain. It's also what was the initial nidus for that pain? When did that start? Did it start from a car accident and your friend was killed? And now you suffer chronic pain and you have to deal with that emotionally, not just physically. Or is it the second type of pain and it's just a physical pain where I fell off my horse. I'll use me as an example. You fell off your horse, you mangled your shoulder, and now you have pain six months later. Those are two very different things that require two very separate approaches. The first one with fibro, and this I would say is the majority of chronic pain now, you have to acknowledge where that pain comes from. That is the first step. That's the hardest step. After you acknowledge that the pain comes from multiple places, then it's seeking out the appropriate service that's required. Sometimes it's a chronic pain assessment. There are clinics that are developed for this, that are set up for this, and they're going to deal with your physical approach to pain. But then at the same time, you can go to something like yoga with trauma therapy. So you attend a therapy class for trauma, but you have to recognize that it's not just one approach. Nothing lives in a vacuum when it comes to chronic pain. You have to assess it on multiple levels at the same time. So what's the first therapy you go to? It actually starts off with yoga and tai chi and exercise for chronic pain. That's always the first approach. And that's actually written in the national guideline 
here's the thing about society in general and physicians in general. It's a lot easier to give you a pill and say, take this and your pain numbs out. Is it really? Versus saying, go do the work. Yeah. So that's my approach. I know it's a long-winded answer to a very simple question, but it's a complex question. Figuring out the origins of your pain and dealing with it as a Venn diagram and not just a unilateral answer. Like, it's not a straight path. No. If you do develop chronic pain, can it, does it, will it go away? Amazing. Genius question. Does it go away is one of the largest fears of all sufferers of chronic pain. And I'm using me as an example. Yes, please do. So you fell off your horse and you messed up your shoulder. It happened in June. I had surgery three weeks ago and I can't move my arm and I'm in tremendous amounts of pain. Question is that I continuously ask any therapist I go to, any doctor, is this pain ever going to go away? Because who can live like that? It's a very difficult way to live. So sometimes yes, sometimes no. Is there a percentage of chronic pain that goes away? Yes. But the question is, is the pain going to go away or am I going to learn to live with my pain? I'm going to change that. There is a philosopher and I honestly can't remember her name and I've been searching for it ever since I've seen this quote. It's not a matter of living with your pain. It's a matter of living next to your pain. So I acknowledge I have pain, but it's not mine. I don't own it. I live next to it. So it's there, but I don't have to internalize it. If I internalize it too much, it's debilitating. But if I learn to live next to it and walk together with it, I can survive it. And so that's the philosophy that I've used in my clinic for a decade almost. And do you think that it's hard for people to admit or accept that it's an emotional or mental pain that they're dealing with? I think the physical pain is easier to say, oh, I injured my shoulder, I injured my hip, I have pain from that. But it's that understanding, maybe this could be a deep emotional or mental pain that I'm dealing with. Most certainly, it's very difficult for people to admit at any time that there's something that they have to deal with that isn't physical. But in order to hit that enlightenment of self, you've got to recognize that there's more than just a physical component to your life. And it hinders most people in a lot of cases. It's not just a physical component. Now, with me, I had a specific injury. But at the same time, now I've got to get back on that horse, literally (laughs) and figuratively. And what's that going to be like? And does it trigger that kind of pain? that I have now when I get back on those, these are all things that I have to deal with. So chronic pain is more than just the physical component of feeling pain. Yeah. Thank you for all that. That I think extremely helpful for people to hear and to listen to and open their eyes and maybe open a new door to how they might deal with their pain moving forward. Any advice that you can give to others? You know, you've lived it, you're living it right now. Trying to give it to myself. Being me, having a serious attention deficit or ADHD has led me to injuries my whole life. The key is to recognize that it's not just physical and it's not just mental. It combines both and that you have to acknowledge it within yourself in order to move forward. And if you don't say anything, nobody knows. I believe in hard work. I believe in taking accountability and responsibility for your action. And I don't think we should make other people feel bad for our pain. I'm in pain. I can't do this. You have to help me right now. It's not a them issue. This is a you issue. And if we don't take accountability for ourselves, we're failing ourselves and society. And that's what happens. We end up breeding a society that takes no accountability and is weak. We have to be emotionally strong 
to recognize these things. Dr. Ira Price, thank you. I hope this is just the first of many conversations we have. Extremely enjoyable, great perspective. Thank you. Life Unlocked. Let's unlock some natural options for managing pain. Many of us, we have a headache, backache, or any other type of pain. Our first impulse is to grab the pain meds. Now, circumstances may require a prescription or over-the-counter pain medication. But if you're looking for other options, you might be surprised to find relief from a variety of natural pain relievers. Many herbs and spices have a long history of being used to relieve inflammation and pain. And these natural pain relievers are known as alternative medicine. A lot of research is being done in this area. And although nothing really conclusive, there can be a lot of benefits to easing pain and inflammation more naturally. But be careful. These natural remedies can occasionally interfere with other medications you're taking and can also have side effects. Here are three you can look into. Boswellia, otherwise known as frankincense, is often used in Ayurvedic medicine and has been known to reduce pain. A 2020 study involving 545 people found that Boswellia was an effective, safe treatment for osteoarthritis, easing pain, and stiffness. You've likely been hearing a lot about turmeric. It contains curcumin, an antioxidant. It's also been well-studied for its ability to ease swelling and reduce inflammation. When you think of cloves, many recipes may come to mind, but cloves are widely used as a pain reliever. Cloves contain eugenol, which is often in over-the-counter pain rubs. Clove oil can be applied topically to reduce pain. Now remember, pain is the body's signal that something is wrong. It may be temporary, as with a strained muscle, but it may also signify a serious health problem that requires medical treatment. Always talk with a doctor or pharmacist before using any supplements or herbal products, especially if you have any health conditions or are taking other medications. Life Unlimited with Stephanie Staples. Well, it's time to recharge, re-energize, and revitalize with our nurse-turned-motivational speaker, Stephanie Staples. Welcome back. Ooh, so much fun. I can't wait for the fun we're about to have. I always love our conversations. It's like kicking back with a friend. But you know, you can have that glass of wine or that cup of tea and listen in on this conversation because there's always so much to learn. And these are just really things that we need to motivate ourselves and I think there's always ways for us to take another look at life. And that's what you always give us, Steph, is you give us that perspective, that different way to look at things that can kind of lift us up. I honestly feel that there is always more to learn, of course. And I also think there's a great value in just shifting perspective, right? Just so I like to be kind of a thought provoker, like probably one of the most common things I hear in my coaching practice is I never thought of it that way. And I think if we can get ourselves to think of things in a little bit of a different way, we start looking for different answers and different things start appearing in our lives to help us maybe solve or shift that problem. Just shift the way you look at it, right? And it's also the timing. Don't you agree? Like sometimes you hear something, you heard it once, you heard it twice. Like we all need different amounts of impressions of things. And sometimes it's like the 
third impression, sometimes it's the 82nd. It's like, oh my gosh, that's brilliant. And maybe your partner's like, I've been telling you that for three years, but it's where you are at this moment in time with this mindset and this other, you know, whatever else is going on. It's like, oh, now it just seems like the most brilliant idea. Yeah, it, it, everything has to align. And they say you have to hear something anyway for at least three times before it would register. But I think your point is really important too, is that it also has to come to you at the right moment in your life. It's funny, way back in the day, I had a CD. It was an hour of me giving different ideas. And once a year, I would listen to my own CD. <laughs> and it was like, well, that's a really good idea, you know, or I forgot about that. I haven't done that in a while. Or, you know, you're just in a different place when you hear it. It's like, you get something different from the same thing that you've already heard. It is so true to even listen to our own words. I always laugh because I'll say things to my kids and then I'm like, yeah, I should probably do that. <laughs> oh, when they throw them back at you, your own words, it's like, oh yeah, that, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> and you've got something to share with us and I'm really excited about this. You sent this to me ahead of time and I appreciate that because I had an opportunity to kind of read through this and it resonated so much for me. So I would love for you to share that for the people who are listening. So I really love words and I don't know if you are familiar with slam poetry, but it's an edgy sort of communication skill. <laughs> You'll be able to tell something was going on in my life when I wrote this <laughs> and it's called Enough. The best or nothing, go big or go home. You can have it all. Rah, rah, I want to be your cheerleader, your greatest fan. But I disagree with the motivational posters, which is probably bad when you're a motivational speaker. But it's my truth, so I speak it now and I give voice to how I really feel. And I feel like good enough is enough. Part way is better than no way, some is better than none, and done is better than perfect. Put that on a poster and see how you like it. But allow me to explain. I am not the best, so am I nothing? I'm not going big. Why do I have to go home? I will never have it all. Everything comes at a cost. Does that make me less than or not good enough? Please don't insult me with your platitudes for I am standing up for being good enough. I am full, so I say no thanks to more food. That's good enough. I'm satisfied, so I say no thanks to more drinks. That's good enough. I am content, so I say no thanks. A good night kiss? Sure, that's good enough. I'm happy, so I say no thanks to more stress, pressure, or obligations. That's really good enough. This upsets me. I won't tolerate anymore, so I say that's enough. But the world doesn't seem to be content with good enough. Do we look good enough? Are we fit enough? Are our teeth white enough? Are we young enough, smart enough, capable enough? To which I answer yes. Yes, you are enough. You are good enough. You are more than enough. Let no one, no one tell you differently. You are just right, just where you're supposed to be, just who you are supposed to be at this place in time. Are you good enough? Am I? Yes, 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 we are. Let no one, no one tell us differently. I think we could all start our day with that each and every day because I think we might tell us ourselves all of those things and then we forget it so quickly because something happens in our day or we are dealing with pain or we're dealing with mental stress or you know some level of anxiety and we forget that we are good enough and i think if we just use that phrase every day and looked in the mirror and said i am good enough who i am right now it could change each and every day in our lives i absolutely believe sometimes that you have to give up 
there's not hard and fast rules. And this was a struggle I had when I was kind of moving into the profession also. Does this mean I'm not satisfied with my life that I'm trying to improve myself or get better or, or in this personal development world? And I realized we can be satisfied and grateful and happy where we are and want something more or, or look towards something more or try to make ourselves better. Like it doesn't have to be exclusive. It can be together in tandem, grateful, appreciative, accepting. And do I have room for improvement? Sure. Am I going to bang my head against the wall to try and get it at the cost of who knows what? Like, no, thank you. I really do like the perspective of it is okay to give up sometimes. Everyone always says, never give up, never give up. But sometimes there's things that you probably should give up. Can we go into that one just a little bit deeper? Because I think that a lot of people will argue in their minds, be, what do you mean never give up? We never give up. Well, if you believe, and I believe, that everything comes at a cost. Everything comes at a cost. And we have to decide if that cost is something we're willing to pay or not. Maybe you're following this dream and you're working on this business and head to the grindstone and you've got grit and resilience and determination, but you still got to feed your family and you've tried for years and you're not making a reg- you know, a good enough income to, you know, is the cost of you pursuing that and taking your time, your energy, your resources, is that worth what it's costing you? Maybe the answer is yes. Maybe the answer, I don't know. But I think it's important to ask yourself this question. Is this worth the cost that I'm paying? And acknowledging what the cost is. Time with your family, money not on other things, health, stress, blah, blah, blah. Is it worth it? Maybe the answer is yes. Okie dokie. If the answer is no, maybe it's time to reassess. It doesn't mean you're a failure. It means you are a realist. You looked at the situation, you assessed, you did a data analysis and you know, a strength analysis or whatever it's called and decided, is this where I want to go or, or not at this time? Maybe you'll pick it up again in a few years. Maybe it had its time and now it's done. It's a great life lesson for all of us to take a look at. At some point, you do have to maybe pivot and go into a different direction. And yes, that might actually mean giving something up. But knowing that you're still good enough and you can move on into a different direction. I'm looking at this thing that I wrote I know so many times I feel like no matter how much I, you, we do give, have, share, no matter how much, it's not going to be enough for some people. So we can keep banging our head against the wall or we can give, do, share what we want, what feels reasonable to us, what doesn't come at too much of a cost. Somebody's not going to be happy anyway. So you may as well kind of do what's feeling good in your body, what feels right, rather than feeling pressured or bullied or don't let what other people think change fundamentally who you are and what makes you happy. And I think it's really hard for so many of us to do that. I agree with you. And I think there's many times we can just look in the mirror and ask ourselves some really honest questions. And I think we don't do that because it's just easier to go through what society's taught us and what we've, those beliefs that have been going on in our head for a long time. But one of my favorite tools, and I think we've talked about this before, is the dry erase marker on the bathroom mirror. (laughs) We know this stuff and we forget sometimes. So a little note on your bathroom mirror, I, I am enough and you're doing great today. And the dry erase marker, I think it's the best personal development tool <laughs> for under a dollar. 
There we go. Everyone go out and get yourself one of those dry erase markers if you don't have one already and write these messages on your mirror. And I think too, if you start your day every day looking in that mirror and reading the message or even just saying to yourself, I am good enough. I am happy with who I am. Any one of the number of things that you wrote in that beautiful slam poetry piece. And I feel like good enough is enough. Partway is better than no way. Some is better than none. And done is better than perfect. Just do what makes you shine. And then you might be a great light for other people by setting the bar like that. Steph, before we go today, though, anything else you want to say? Yeah, always. It's Stephanie Staples encouraging you to live your life unlimited. And you are enough. Mindfulness Moment. Meditation or mindfulness can add a present-centered awareness that can help one observe pain. Lisa Dumas is a registered yoga therapist and offers tools and practices to calm the mind, body, and cultivate true self-compassion through self-discovery and reclaim a courageous heart. This is Mindfulness Moment. When it comes to pain, no matter what kind of pain it is, it's very natural for us to receive that pain with a certain level of resistance. It's all about what we're feeling and where we're feeling it. Can we move outside of that and look around our space and look for texture? Look for something that looks like it has a rougher texture. Look for something that looks smooth. Look around for something that looks like it would be cool to the touch or maybe soft to the touch. Find four colors. Observe an object in your space that you've never really studied before and look at it in a new way. Find something about it that you've never noticed before. Focus on what you hear, the sounds that are close to you, but then focus on the sounds that are far away and let yourself just focus on what you hear. You can also focus on a sense of taste, what you smell in the air, and what you're honing here when you are connecting with other senses is you're honing the ability to observe and accept what is. Then you can move back into your body, and perhaps you feel the connection of what your body is supported by. Turn your gaze within and maybe close the eyes if you are comfortable with that and you focus on both of your hands at the same time. All that aliveness that you feel at fingertips and beyond, at palms of the hands and beyond. And the more you focus on that, it may be the more you feel. And then maybe you feel hands and feet at the same time. You might notice the touch of fabric on the skin of the legs and the torso. You might notice the movement of that fabric as you breathe. And eventually you may feel that a fuller, deeper breath is possible as you arrive again and again to this moment and to what else you're feeling besides that discomfort. Perhaps you can allow a bit of softening around the abdomen, 
relaxing of the shoulders, the letting go of the jaw, the tension of the eyes, all of these places that we would habitually have a lot of tension and holding in our resistance to that pain. For some people, it can be helpful to watch the rhythm of their breath, to watch cool air in and warm air out of nostrils. For some people, it can be more comforting to notice the expansion and release of breath and where you feel breath in your body. What you may also like to try is now that you have practiced all of this observing, perhaps you can move into observing the uncomfortable sensation. Allow yourself to connect with the inner witness, if you will, and notice where that pain is and see if you can be a real compassionate observer, then perhaps you can notice if it was a color, what color would it be? If it was a temperature, what temperature would it be? If it was a shape, what shape would it be? You see, we're, we're really working on being outside of it and observing it a little bit more. And then if breath is helpful for you, then imagine longer exhales, which can help turn on our relaxation response, that those longer exhales are moving right into that place and creating a little bit of space, unwinding it, softening it, maybe cooling it. Life is challenging, and choosing wellness in our daily lives may seem like adding to the already long to-do list. But together, we can make it easier. Join us on the next Choosing Wellness as we take a deeper dive into women's health and talk about menopause. And Life Unlimited Stephanie Staples brings new perspective on relationship conversations. I'm Linda Freeman. Let's connect again soon as together we take the journey of Choosing Wellness. You've been listening to Choosing Wellness, an initiative powered by Pattison Media designed to inspire and motivate a healthy life. For more information on this program, go to pattisonmedia.com. Another Everything Podcast production. Visit everythingpodcast.com, a division of Pattison Media. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast.